0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God, which we meditate upon this evening, is from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, Of those whom you gave me I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath, Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Perhaps some of you remember the news back in 1999. That was a few years ago. But back in 1999, NASA lost a $125 million Mars Climate Orbiter. They lost it because some of the engineers were using the English standard system and some of them were using metric. A little misunderstanding resulted in a big loss. Misunderstandings don't usually result in a 125 billion dollar loss in our lives probably mainly because we don't have 125 billion dollars to lose most of us, but they do often cause Big problems, don't they? Little understandings can cause big problems in our family, in our friends, in our relationships, in many other areas of our life as well. You know, if someone at NASA had taken a little bit of time to ask a very simple question, what measurements are you using? It would have saved them $125 million. And very often, if we would step back, And take a moment to ask a simple question. What did you mean by that? That sounded really mean. It sounded really angry. Is that the way you meant it? We could often save ourselves a lot of anger and resentment and other problems as well. But even more importantly than the misunderstandings that we have with one another are those times when we misunderstand God's purpose for us and the things that God is doing in our life. And there are times when, if we would take a step back and remind ourselves of what Paul tells us in Romans, that it is Jesus who died for us, who is the same one who now sits on the right hand of the throne of God and rules all things for the good of his people, we would remember God, the depth of God's love for us. And that no matter what it might look like from our perspective, we might remember God's promises and be reassured that God is in control instead of misunderstanding what God has in store for us. In our text, Peter misunderstands God's plan, doesn't he? And that simple misunderstanding, that failure not only to understand God's plan, but even that failure to understand the depth of God's love, that God's love was deep enough even to save, to go willingly to the cross, even to save that, those soldiers. Even to save that Melchiz soldier whom, whom Peter attacked. He'd taken the time to remember that he may not have failed as, as badly as he did. But where Peter failed, and where we often fail, of course, God's love does not fail. Jesus' love was great enough to willingly go to the cross. And as he was going to the cross, what did he tell the soldiers? Let these go. Jesus' love was deep enough to willingly go to the cross so that we might go free. How did Peter so badly misjudge, misunderstand the situation? Well, you will know, go back to those reports from 1999 about that lost million Mars Climate Orbiter and you find out that it wasn't a single mistake, it wasn't a a momentary thing that actually this had been going on for nine months. For nine months the people at Lockheed had been using the English Standard System while the people at JPL had been using the metric system and no one had noticed. The signs were there, the evidence was there. There's really no excuse for what happened they should have realized that something was off the same thing is true in our text isn't it? the signs are there, the evidence is there there's really no excuse for the mistake that Peter makes Jesus himself had often told told Peter and the other disciples the son of man must be betrayed into the hand of sinners and die and rise again Peter should have known that this was God's plan. You think back to what happened to Jesus at Nazareth when he was preaching and the people tried to throw him off the cliff and Jesus just walked right through the middle of them. They couldn't even see him, much less test them, touch him. Peter should have known God is in control. And the evidence is there even in our text. Jesus spoke a word and they all fell down. Peter should have realized The soldiers were not going to take Jesus away unless it was Jesus' will and the Father's plan. But Peter gets caught up in the moment. He gets caught up in the way things look from his earthly perspective, and he forgets. He forgets what Jesus told him. He forgets what he himself saw about the power of Jesus and the evidence uh, that God was in control. And we're really no better than Peter. We often do the same thing. We often get caught up in the moment and what's going on right now. We often get stuck in that earthly perspective on how we see things. And we forget. We forget all the promises that God has given to us that he does love us, that he is in control, that he is going to work all things for good. We forget that Jesus went willingly to the cross. amazing demonstration of just how great God's love is for us and the proof that if he gave his only son up for us how shall he not with him also freely give us all good things this sunday our gospel reading is john chapter nine the man born blind and there's another example of people who misunderstand Everybody misunderstands there. The Pharisees misunderstand. The disciples misunderstand. Even the man born blind misunderstands. They all are convinced. Even the man himself is convinced. This man must be a terrible sinner. God is pouring out his wrath on him. God is punishing him for some great sin. God's really angry with him. He's under God's curse. They all have that attitude. And here comes Jesus. He says, No. You're wrong. God doesn't hate this guy. God isn't pouring out wrath upon this man. God has specially chosen him in order that through him the glory of God in Christ Jesus might be revealed. I challenge you on Sunday to listen carefully to the gospel reading and listen in particular for indications of the blind man's joy. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle John doesn't come right out and specifically talk about it like Luke does in Acts. You remember in, in Acts when, they, when Peter and John heal the lame man and he gets up he's walking and leaping and praising God. There's that direct reference to his great joy. In John chapter 9, that doesn't happen. He doesn't talk specifically about his joy, but there are definitely indications of just how glad and how joyful that man is. And while you're listening for those indications, consider where is the joy coming from? Because it's not just that he's able to see. Here's a man whom his whole life he'd been told, God hates you, you're under the curse of God, God is punishing you because you're such a terrible sinner. And now here comes Jesus. And not only tells the man, but powerfully demonstrates the truth. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. And you have a special place in God's plan of salvation. God has specially chosen you for death. But we do the same thing, don't we? We forget what Jesus told the disciples about that blind man. We forget about what happened in the garden. And when bad things happen, it's so easy to fall into that attitude of thinking. Oh, God must be punishing me for something. It's not hard to think of reasons why God might be punishing us. And if, if we're having trouble thinking of some sin that God might be punishing for us, Satan is eager to remind us. Those sins from yesterday, a year ago, maybe even longer, come up to our mind, oh yeah, God's punishing me for this or for that. We forget God's promises of love, and we it's so easy to fall into that attitude of thinking, oh God's punishing me, or or God is picking on me, or why, why me? God, it's not fair, or God has abandoned me. Why isn't God answering my prayers? It's so easy to misunderstand God's plan for us and his purpose in our life in that way. Peter should have known better. The evidence was all around him, and we ought to, too, We should know better how many times has God reassured us of the depth of his love and even demonstrated for us on the cross. But in that moment, in that moment of difficulty and tribulation, it's so easy to forget God's promises. You know, the greatest heroes of faith in the Old Testament are not... The ones who slew giants. The greatest heroes of faith are those who stood firm in the day of tribulation and suffering, not doubting God, but confident in God's love, the fact that God was in control. And the fact that God was going to bring good out of this. People like Daniel facing the lion's den, or the three men facing the fiery furnace, or Joseph going off and being sold into slavery, or even David. And sure, David slew the giant. He slew Goliath. I ask you to consider, which took more faith? Standing up to Goliath? Killing Goliath? Or not killing Saul? Remember when Saul was seeking David's life? And without knowing it, Saul went into the very cave where David was hiding. And all David had to do was reach out his hand, kill, kill Saul, and seemingly all his troubles would be over. And yet, what did David say? Far be it from me to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Instead of drawing his sword, he was confident. That God was in control. That God would take care of Saul in his own time. That's not something I need to worry about. Even though Saul was seeking to kill him. I think maybe we emphasize the wrong story in our Sunday school classes, right? Because we we emphasize David and Goliath. And we don't talk as much about that story about David and Saul. I wonder if we're leaving our kids with the wrong impression. The impression that they need to be ready to draw their swords for God. And the truth is, more often we need to be ready to sheathe our swords. Peter was quick to draw his sword to fight the enemies of God. That was the wrong thing, wasn't it? We need to learn to face challenges accept hardship, that same confidence that God is in control. Some of you know we've been going through the book of Daniel in our Bible classes, and uh, not this last Sunday, but the Sunday before, we were studying Daniel chapter 8. And one of the members here, one of you guys, asked the best question, why? Why did God give Daniel these visions? These visions of a, of a future that were not going to happen during Daniel's lifetime. Daniel would be dead and gone long, hundreds of years, before these visions would be fulfilled. What was the purpose of them? Well, you study Daniel chapter 8, you realize that the, the visions there talk about uh, the history of the Persian Empire Cyrus, Xerxes. And then uh, also the Greek Empire, uh, Alexander the Great is specifically mentioned, not by name, but uh, he's specifically pictured and mentioned there. And then after him, the Doce, the four generals that take over. So uh, Daniel chapter 8 goes through this history that most of us probably learned when we were still young. This is important history, right? This is Alexander the Great. Who doesn't know that name? But That's not the point of Daniel chapter 8. That's all just background. God is just kind of laying out the outline so he can get to this little horn. This little horn that comes up and represents a man by the name of Antiochus IV Epiphanius. If you've been coming to Bible class, you know that name by now, right? Because I keep saying it over and over again. I really drill it, really make sure you guys remember it. And there's a name we never learned about growing up. There's a name that most of the world, who cares? He's not that important to history. But this is the purpose of these visions because this man, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, when he became ruler, did terrible things to God's people. Awful things. He forbade the worship of the Lord and anyone who had a a scroll, uh, the scroll of the law, the Old Testament in their house, he killed them. If anyone was found with a Bible in their house, they were slaughtered. God doesn't care about Alexander the Great. He doesn't care about Arctic Dioces. He doesn't care about the Battle of Thermopylae. What he cares about is his people and warning his people about the coming of this terrible man, because imagine yourself in that position. You're one of the, the Israelites living in Israel under this man. He's just slaughtering God's people. How easy it would be to misunderstand, right? To think God has abandoned us. God has forgotten about us. God doesn't care about us. God is not in control. Then you read Daniel chapter 8. This is a powerful reminder. That you're wrong. God hasn't forgotten his people. God warned his people that this would happen so that when it did happen, they would know Still has a plan for them. He's going to work it for good. The truth is there in our text. The truth is evident in our text. Jesus went willingly to the cross. And as he goes willingly to the cross, he tells the soldiers, let these all go. He went willingly to the cross so that we don't have to. He bore our sins, as we heard about on Sunday, so that we would be free from the weight of the guilt of sin. We don't have to worry about God punishing us for some sin we did in the past, because that sin is on Jesus now. He went willingly to the cross so that we would be free from the fear of death, because he died for us. Don't misunderstand God's plan. We don't always know why somebody is maybe blind from birth or why God allows people like Antiochus IV Epiphanius to to persecute his people. We don't always know why, but we do know. It's not because God has forgotten about us. It's not because God's love has failed. It's not because God is not in control. Don't misunderstand. God's love has not abandoned you, no matter what things might look like from this earthly perspective. Romans 8, What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's chosen It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter